Hey everybody, big day for us. I've been working on this idea and collaborating with a bunch of people. Always stoked to be able to get different teams of people to work together. In this case, Fearless Records and Tooth and Nail Records and the Under Oath Camp and the Labeled Camp all working together on one project. So it's very, very cool. In this case, Fearless and Under Oath came to me and asked if I'd be interested to create a podcast series around the release of Voyeurist. And I've already been riffing with Tim for years about how their band works and how sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, and even though a 90-minute podcast or a two-parter is considered long-form content, it really isn't near enough to go in and cover the context and the relationships and the history needed to even begin to examine the art itself and its creation process. And I consider myself to be a student of special individuals and how they make up and operate in small groups and make special things happen. So I felt like this was the perfect opportunity to begin to expand the labeled universe. So you can listen to this episode here, but more so this whole episode drop functions as a happy announcement that we've created a new labeled podcast feed called Deep Dives that you should subscribe to. And even bigger than that, the labeled universe is becoming a fully visual endeavor this year. So it's expanding in a bunch of new ways. The feed, stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records that you know, this one, uh, as well as the Deep Dives series will begin being video shows as well. So the way we do music, we're going to have extra footage and things uh, as well as the conversation themselves uh, and try to make a new kind of media that's just a little above what a general podcast is thought of to be. So please subscribe to the Labeled Universe YouTube. And that's already got the beloved hometown show sitting over there. That's where it's hosted already. So to recap, the basic roadmap here is the Labeled Universe is expanding big time and will have three main components. The stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. Uh, there's going to be these series this is called Deep Dives, and we're going to be producing digital experiences like the Beloved Show. And we got a bunch more stuff in the pipeline, some already captured, some we're going to capture this year and bring digital experiences uh, to the world, as well as physical events like Labeled Fest, which was a sold-out success last year, and we're looking to do another one this year. And so once we get our minds around all that, it means we'll have a full revamp of our membership program because there's going to be tons of stuff we'll be able to do with that, um, with all the stuff we've got cooking. So that'll all be coming as soon as we get a grip here um, and get rolling. But for now, I hope you'll watch this episode zero, which plays like a short documentary about Under Oath from the reunion in 2015 up until now. So go ahead, pause this, and go find it on the YouTube channel or the new landing page at labeleduniverse.com. All right, here we go. got me yep i got you you got me we're just about to start okay there we go the story of this record what's on the screen before you know the movie starts nobody wanted to say aside from aaron you fucked us said that to me i'll just fucking leave you make me mad enough it, it just got complicated Aaron Gillespie here with the voice I think you recognize. So during Erase Me and after Erase Me, uh, and now currently, um, the most interesting trajectory for me with the, the feeling of that piece of music is Tim. Okay, this is Tim McTague. He's got a little bit of a raspy voice you can recognize. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when we were in Erase Me, we were in a spot where Aaron was just back and we changed labels and it was kind of that moment where we've always been so close fisted and very hard headed and uh, either idealistic or possibly even um, not arrogant, but our way or the highway, like very controlling over everything we've done. And when we got back together, we were older, we had kids, Aaron was back. We were just happy to kind of 
be together. And we were obviously just off the rebirth tour, which even got us thinking about continuing. Um, Cause the rebirth tour was supposed to be literally a reunion tour. And then we did it around the world and kept getting more offers. It's like, do we like this? Do people still want to hear from us? One, two, three, Jesus, Everyone had music they were bringing into the table. You know, we had done this reunion tour around the world. All right, this is Spencer. A lot of you are familiar with his voice, of course. And then one other tour. Chris Dudley here, very clear and specific speech. You know, that record was us learning how to be a band again, um, learning how to be a band differently as well, um, you know, because we had done underwrote the same way for so long and it ended with us not being a band and to me in many ways my friendships with the guys in the band are more important than the songs you know like the songs are the byproduct of like the feeling that we create together it was exciting and it was fun and we had a great time and um it that record opened a lot of doors for us and put us places we've never been before. Yeah, we got nominated for best metal performance for On My Teeth. And it was, we've been nominated for three Grammys, but it was the first one that we were actually nominated for something we did. We've been nominated for best music video and best packaging. And then, yeah, when the Grammy nom came in, I guess 2019 for On My Teeth, it was like, oh, like something we wrote got nominated. was very much Aaron and Spencer's record. They had ideas of what they wanted to do. This is Randy Nichols, the band's longtime manager. You can notice he has a Long Island accent. Tim was busier than he usually is in making a record, and it was, you know, more of Aaron and Spencer's record. At the time, like, his engagement was strange with Erase Me. Like, and I still don't really understand it, other than the fact that he was trying to purchase an old gas station and start this now hyper successful business he was present but he was not present it was kind of this weird moment where i was like mentally checked out a bit like i had you know three kids now that are older uh king state was growing and i was trying to buy the building that is now our tampa bar during the entire race me project as well as like letting our guards down and just going let's try something because we don't try anything throughout the entire making of that record it, it was a lot of us feeling each other out again personally um just creatively and how we work together it was like a you know like people doing songs alone in groups of two and just coming in and just, you know, and like meshing it and turning it into an under oath record. You, when you're a band, you're, you know, you're writing for yourself, but you're also writing for an audience. Okay. There's these other guys who are part of the band who have to stand up on stage and play this for the next two or three years. What do they think? Grant and James both have always had a unique position in our creative process because there's people that are hyper creative and their brains don't work well in a logical standpoint because they're so in kind of the vortex and the vacuum of what they think they're creating. And James and Grant have always been really good at not necessarily being at the genesis, but as things are evolving, identifying things that are off the mark and off the target. Nope, I know what you're talking about and I know you can get there and that's not it, start over.
if I'm really honest, like brutally honest, like I didn't do everything to my complete ability because I didn't feel like I had the ground to stand on. I think one of the bigger questions from fans is like, is Aaron even on this record? It was interesting because I didn't know that anyone would care because he'd been gone for 10 years. And it's like when he's back, everyone wants all of him back creatively, which is his voice and his drum parts and his songwriting. And you got his drum parts, a little bit of his songwriting and hardly any of his voice. It was my first album with the band in a decade. And I didn't know where I stood. He was engaged in the songs. He wasn't engaged in conflict, which is where great songs get made. With Under Oath, the band, we need like, we need tension to create this reaction. Under Oath is the four like tornadoes in the room that turns into a hurricane. Like these four spinning things are super powerful when they get in in sync with each other, it turns them into this thing that's like, you can't capture it. You know, you can't slow it down. So we need someone to be like, no, that vocal is not good or that guitar part isn't good. Or like, what do those lyrics mean? Like, we need that to, and Erase Me was like, it was like, yes, man. You know, everything was permissible. We weren't fully engaged at all on for, for different reasons. I was distracted. He didn't want to step on toes and didn't know his place. And when, you know, two of the four main creative brains aren't firing on all cylinders, like the pendulum starts swinging. And it wasn't even that Spencer took over or Chris took over. It's, it's that it's just not the same. By the time we were done, we were like, that was great. Let's not ever do that again. It's a cyclical thing for us, it seems, because we do the Rebirth tour and that gets us excited about becoming a band again. And then COVID hits and we were on the Slipknot tour all summer. We were going to play Madison Square Garden for the first time and then everything gets canceled. And that was such a bummer. A live stream was supposed to be a supplementary replacement to a concert. And the problem with the concert is if it's from a viewer's perspective from the audience and you're seeing everything you would normally see at a concert, the only difference is there's no energy and there's no people next to you and nobody's sweaty. It's like a deflated version of a concert. So it's like, how do we, how do we create an experience that isn't trying to replace a concert, but is a brand new experience? We're in the round, the cameras are on stage with us, and being able to give people those close-ups of Aaron and see that drum fill that you've always heard from, you know, the end of Warp Tour or the second balcony seat at House of Blues, but have never seen, it was, it was like an all-access pass to what we do and how we do it. This is Joel Cook from Tension Division, who's in charge of the graphic design and visual elements. He might be the hardest to place, but that's the clue. This is a video project. This has to be a This has to change the dichotomy of who they are and not just be a bunch of people on a stage in an empty room getting filmed. We got to blow this out of the water. These are such iconic albums. Like, what are we going to do to just, like, go nuts on this? It had to be live. Not a lot of people at the time and not a lot of people since were actually doing it live. And we were like, it has to be live. Could you imagine if those observatory live streams went bad? You could put a nail in the coffin with that. Like we were one of the first bands to go straight live and our manager was behind it. You know, I think Randy maybe had more 
confidence in us than we did at that. You know, I walked into that warehouse and saw that and went, "Oh fuck, we're gonna go broke. We just, we just, I'm gonna lose my house." I couldn't see it. We did the first one and it went well. And then we watched it back and we were like, oh, it went much better than we thought. Terrible. That was so sick. I like that shit though. It feels live. It was like therapeutic, similar to the Rebirth tour of like, oh, getting off the Erase Me cycle, playing the radio game, playing the Grammy game, all that stuff. And then we go back to the roots. And it's like the three, three of our biggest records, three of our heaviest records. And it wasn't about whether they were big or heavy. They just felt real. And it's like, oh, this is actually what our band is. And anything that isn't like this doesn't work. And that kind of informed how we started building what would later become Voyeurs. There's a sound to the band, and there's a feeling that you get playing an instrument in the band. And I sometimes wonder if it's all interchangeable. You know, like, I don't know if it's, like, even us anymore. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's an ideal. Like, I wonder if someone could just come in and do it sometimes. Underoath is kind of a, a thing you do, you know, like, you you go and you're a part of the show. Like the crowd is equally as important as the band is at that, at those shows, you know, like it's a, it's a huge fucking deal. And like, there's a lot of energy and people save up and wait and come and they sweat and they're as sweaty as the band. And there's this huge energy in the room. There's this big joyous experience from the way I see it. Under Oath's best attribute isn't that we're the best players. We're the biggest band. We're the coolest dudes. We're, you know, all of these savants it's that when we do the thing that we know we can do and we dig for it nobody can do what we do people and they go through moments. We've all gone through moments where different people have stronger and weaker relationships at varying times. I think Spencer looks up to Aaron a lot, as we all do. I think Aaron's one of the only, if not the only, naturally talented musician in the band. Also, in 1989, I was six years old and my teacher was Miss Amanda Miller. God bless you. Spencer thought, maybe even subconsciously, like, this is my shot to be like Aaron. Everyone sings along to Aaron's parts on Chasing Safety and this, and, like, they headbang and mosh to my parts. And now I can create these anthemic, memorable moments. Us doing stuff alone is just a different outlet. You know, like, we're all capable of making a record, you know. We could probably all do it alone. We could probably make our versions of Under Oath by ourselves. When Aaron left, Spencer had become the lead singer and he was the only one on Disambiguation and started, you know, singing and writing the hooks and being like 
the top line guy and the verse guy. And before there was always this, you know, back and forth dynamic. And I think when, you know, the, the, the all-star comes back, you don't want to give up that opportunity that you worked your ass off for. You know, this guy left the band. He left us high and dry. And I stepped up, put the band on my back. I've been singing my ass off, writing all the lyrics myself. I've carried us just to get to this point. I don't want to give up the thing that I picked up and rebuilt for myself. This is my job. Like, shouldn't my job be to bring the best shit to the table and go 100? And so when Aaron came back, uh, which he said to me multiple times, I don't know if he said it to you, but he's like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. And it's like, let's like, I'm back in my old band, but I need to figure out where my place is behind Spencer or alongside Spencer. So with Erase Me, I kind of made this calculated decision that I was just gonna like write and kind of just let him do his thing. Me to the darkness. like your family like it's so hard to talk to your mom about something or you like your partner about something communication is really important you know we say that people talk about it in marriage and life and friendship and family and it goes down to the band and even people who preach it don't necessarily practice it all the time and that's all of us i think everyone in this band is still kind of bad at it and they think that oh i've expressed this to this person but you're talking about someone else and you're expressing it to someone else. So there has been no communication. And then you, uh, people assume the worst always. I mean, that's even an under oath lyric about under oath. From 2003, when I joined the band until nine, 10, when he left, I always had a partner. He's, literally been my best friend since I was in my teens when turmoil was in the band or when stuff was going on personal lives and stuff. We always kind of had each other to bounce off of first. Like when he was going through the hypochondria stuff and hospital visits and I was the person in his room talking to him constantly before it got to the band and vice versa with all my drug struggles in the past. Like we've always had this buddy system thing and Cause it just comes down to like lyric writing is just such like a personal thing. You know, it's like, you really got to know yourself and be willing to put yourself out there in each other with, with me and him working together. Um, so the first time when he, you know, when we weren't in a band together anymore, it was, it was a learning curve for me. It was weird and I was angry about it. You know, I'm going to say something odd that I feel like is true, though. It's the person you need to trust the most is yourself. It's not even trusting the others. I mean, and there needs to be trust with the others, but it needs to be trust and confidence in yourself. smart enough to have great ideas but some of your ideas everyone else is not going to think are smart what makes under oath special is the fact that there's too many cooks in the kitchen and the four cooks get in the kitchen there's not enough room but when we get out with one meal that tastes good it's fucking rad it's just a weird way to get about it you having someone like tim who wants art to the point of who cares what anyone else thinks dispenser is like Let's have a hit. Like, let's, let's capitalize on all this hard work we've put in. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make the best possible art and make as much money as you can so you can be comfortable and live a better life and let your family live a better life and still be credible in what you're doing musically at the same time. Okay, pardon the interruption here, but we got to thank the sponsor, the title sponsor that believed in the show before they even heard it and before it was even done, and that's Rockabilia. They're an awesome company. They've been doing uh, band merch and 
memorabilia and stuff like that for a very long time. They're an independently owned and operated outfit uh, from Minnesota. They're located in Minneapolis. They're you know a true kind of company that cares and does awesome stuff worked with them in the past they've got over 500,000 officially licensed merch items which is cool because officially licensed means that the bands get paid it's not bootleg or anything like that and they've just got everything out there no matter what type of music you like they've got something from your favorite band I promise you but especially since your favorite band might be in the neighborhood of under oath I know for a fact they have classic under oath designs in stock right now because I just checked them out and there's some old ones there that I remember seeing back in the day and they are awesome. Not only that, we have a quite easy promo code for you to remember how to get 15% off. That code is under oath. So go look at the under oath merch for 15% off on rockabilia.com and you will get a 15% discount on your entire order because while you're there, there's tons of other bands you like, tons of gifts. I don't know, maybe Valentine's gifts coming up, something like that. You're supporting a great company, again, independent owned and operated been a part of the scene for a long time thank you for sponsoring the show thank y'all for listening glad i could make the introduction rockabilly.com use the code under oath for a 15 percent discount on your entire order okay Randy's a businessman, uh, but also like a friend, you know, like from the beginning. He's managed us since 2004 and, and he's built everything we have alongside us. Trying to work with us as a group sometimes can be difficult. And yeah, I mean, he's been our manager forever. So he just understands sometimes what needs to be said to some people. Randy has to like push me over the edge a little bit. And, and be like, just trust me. And for some reason I do, maybe because we've worked together for so long, but even when I don't want to, I do. Randy's been really good through the years of going, okay, I see you, but also you need to talk to your band. That's what he says to me, which makes me mad sometimes. But like, if, you know, when there's interpersonal strange dynamics, Randy will say, talk to your band. Randy has a tendency to understand the global and then he breaks off in side conversations and sometimes does a really good job, sometimes doesn't. Like, even when he says, like, this is it, your brain's always going, what else is there that someone else knows that I don't about why this is it? This is it for me to comply. But what else is happening? And it happens a lot. And it, it does get tense sometimes with creative stuff or label stuff. And it's all part of the process. And the other option is brutal honesty at all times with seven people on copy. And that means nothing gets done. There's almost always a civil war in the band in everybody's own head. I really want to have interband communication. And you know, like there's, there's members like Aaron who've gotten better with it over the years. But years ago, he hid behind me. Like if anything was bothering him or he had a problem, he would want me to say it for him. Whenever I think of Randy, I think of somebody who lets us take a chance. Um, which is something that's hard, you know, especially today. Like everything's so calculated right now. So for somebody to let you do whatever the hell you want is rare, you know. Our roles as a manager, you're a CEO, you're a parent, you're a psychiatrist, you're a best friend, and you're a hated enemy, sometimes all at the same time. I'll give you this one. This is a good one. We pitched the whole band the Erase Me cover. And uh, I had shown Randy beforehand what we were going to pitch him, and he's like, no possible way can that be the cover of this next album. So he thought we had changed it. And as I was pitching him, he was texting me saying, you were fired from this band, you will never work with us again. And uh, the band loved it. There was one minor tweak to the cover and, and uh, Randy and I have been best friends ever since. When we made their only chasing safety and it took off, we went and made to find a great line, which was the exact opposite of the only chasing safety. And 
that record is heavy and strange and avant-garde. Even now, to me, it's strange, and it's a strange choice that we made it. Um, we could have and should have, on paper, should have, quotation marks, made a second they're only chasing safety that was poppy and vocal driven and we would have been we would have not would have we could have been the biggest band in the genre for 15 minutes but instead we went and made this really avant-garde record and it worked to write music we need to experience like like push our boundaries as a band and i feel like we're always going to want to evolve and keep the thing moving there's a beauty in the chaos right like sometimes you just gotta go you can't worry about what everybody's gonna think you can't worry about timelines you can't worry about budgets you just gotta make shit happen when you have those people that understand and will kill themselves for what you're trying to build alongside of you and make it their own too it's really really important and you don't find those people very often. Some people never find them. So if you do, don't let that person go. We believe you surround yourself with people you believe to be the best at what they do. And if you do that, then you have to put trust into them. Randy didn't come alongside the label and go, you guys should do a radio edit for K-Rock. Because that was a big thing. You know, At the time, they wanted to do a radio edit for K-Rock on their only Chasing Safety. And they promised us drive time rotation and all of this stuff. And we were like, no, we're not doing that. And Randy... Somehow, foresight, maybe he got lucky too. Um, he didn't, he was like, whatever you guys want to do, I want you to do what you want to do, you know, which is crazy to think about. So now when we want to make our own album and do this hair-brained ass thing in an attic in a church, he's like, if there's results, let's do it. They may not have even seen it, but working with bands for enough years just something felt right with their excitement. We got there pretty naturally in the studio. We started demoing and we did about, I think we did three sessions here. Um, three days, six days. I think in total, it was about 15 days. And by the end of it, we had a SoundCloud with 11 songs on it and they sounded good. They felt good. Um, it felt alive and in our heads, you know, it wasn't a long-term plan to just do it all over in the same space with the same people, but it's like, let's go in and just not care about a record and just write songs we want to hear and songs that move us. This is the first record where the four of them came into the room on equal footing. Each man in the band obviously has a different view of how art works and how songs are created. You know, with us making Voyeurist is like, what if everyone is wrong and you have to find a way to get to right? You know what I'm saying? Like, as opposed to somebody yesing someone to death. And I think on Erase Me, and this is no slight to the producer at all because he's a phenomenal producer. But I think the idea of a great producer is is an incorrect idea, I think. Like, I think. You know, going into the record initially, the discussion was, okay, well, who is going to produce this record? You know, we knew we wanted it to go in a different direction, but we we had had a, you know, a thought that, you know, we could get there with Matt. I think Randy was a bit hesitant. And I know Spencer was worried about doing vocals without a real producer in the room, because that's the first time He's ever been asked to do that. And not only that, but when you're working out your ideas and working out where your voice wants to be in this spot in front of your bandmates, it's different than going, hey, guys, we're doing vocals all day. Come here at five and we'll have something to show you. I think if I'm honest, I think Randy wanted to make sure there was a ringleader, you know, somebody to make sure we didn't actually kill each other. You know, our thought was we should do a record ourselves and bring Squire in on the things that we're not fully sure we can execute on. And those things were keyboards 
and vocals because Matt is so good at Pro Tools and he's been producing since God knows how long. And so we went through a couple things and basically ended up on a call with Squire. I remember him saying, you're under oath, like you fight. You guys are not always stable. And more importantly, the value that he thought he brought, which was not incorrect, especially on Erase Me, was being a psychologist and a referee. And I remember that clicking with me where I said, okay, if Spencer or Chris or anyone in the band wants Matt Squire just to be a referee, they can pay for him to come down out of their pocket. I'm willing to bet on us. And what I really think was important was having a conversation with every single one of us four and going, Chris, Spencer, Aaron, I don't want to pay Matt Squire to be a referee. Like I'm 36 years old. I have three kids. Like you do too. We can all figure out a way to talk through things like adults. And if that's the pitch, we don't need him. And that's it. In the past with Under Oath, we've had producers in all that. We really were in control. Like there was nobody saying that's not the chorus. There's still somebody to be like, maybe do that again, you know? The 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 one thing I'll I'll always remember us saying, I, I was talking to Tim and we were like, you know, all these other people trust us to make their music. Like, why can we not make our own record? He said, why are the people that get paid to make music for everyone else paying someone to make music for themselves? That doesn't make sense to me. And I said, it does make sense because we just have to grow up. We have to get out of each other's way. And we also have to know when to get into each other's way and not take offense to it and know that we're just fighting for the song. I'm not fighting you. And Under Earth is always like, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. But at the end, you have to have everyone kind of butt heads and go, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. How do we put it together to make it? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right. That's what makes the sound of the band. I believe that's the sound of Under Earth is tension. My biggest takeaway when they decided they were going to self-produce was how do we tell the story? It wasn't if they can do it or what's going to happen. Like I knew that they would be able to do it. It was more of, are we going to be able to tell that story and, and make people and fans understand like what a big step that is for them as a band. I couldn't do anything creatively without Joel. I mean, Joel Cook is the creative, the creative guy behind the whole thing in terms of visual and artistically tension division and Joel as that lead in that relationship because he's the one in Florida with that is almost another band member you can't always be the creative visionary of every bit of your story as well and Joel and Brandon came into the studio when they were making Erase Me and Brandon sat at the soundboard and listened to every word of every song and a playback of the record when they finished it. And he literally named the record while he was sitting there in the studio, having listened to it for the first time. Joel Cook's superpower is just having an eye and a vision and also knowing how to execute. You always have idea guys, you know, like, oh, like, well, what if we did this? And then they, they shrink into the background when it comes time to like put feet on the ground. I think as a creative, we probably trust him more than anyone else that any, anyone else outside of our bait. Randy will say that Tim and I getting together may make things harder for people, but I think that strife is what helps create a lot of the crazy creative. You know, we were talking about how people's perceptions, fans' perceptions, who they were years ago, like when they've gotten a claim, when they haven't, when people have told them that they're the worst people in the world. 
people were still judging this band on interviews and things that had happened 10, 15 years ago. And they're not those same people. Yes, they did erase me. Yes, they did, um, Chasey said, all of those things happened. Yes, you know, there were people out of the band. Yes, they broke up. All of that stuff happened. It's a it's a ghost. It's 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 there. It's 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 art. It's wonderful. Um, and those guys recorded it, and they're still those same people in a sense. But they've grown and they've gotten better, and they're still creating music. You know. You know, there's there's certain times you need to be vulnerable, and you should be vulnerable around your band and those other creatives that you bring in the room with you, to allow you to trust them and often to trust yourself and not following what's comfortable. Sometimes what's uncomfortable is better than what's comfortable. And there's there's a lot of uncomfortableness in the marketing around this record. You know, for instance, the voyeurist.io website where people have to go on a webcam and give up their own privacy to hear a new song. And you know, so you you trade your privacy in exchange for listening. That's not comfortable. That's not meant to be comfortable. That's that's a message to people, kind of showing how uncomfortable it is to be an artist. It's almost more of an art project than it is a marketing project because you're making it more difficult to listen to a song. You're making people question if they're gonna be comfortable in that moment to listen to something. And these are all the things that bands are struggling with on a regular basis. Are you com- are you vulnerable enough to let yourself out for other people to interact and you know these artists are so vulnerable to say and do these things and share with others and then some of the fans have so little vulnerability that they point their webcam on the ceiling so that they're not seen listening to it because even being seen listening to someone spilling their heart out is too much for them from start conception to finish you have to be naked in front of everybody and it's the people that you care about the most and that can hurt you the most and vice versa. And so that was a big conversation. Like we were doing something that no one's going to understand. I think this was just one of those things that was like, we don't want to muddy the waters. You know, like we just, this is something we needed to do. The biggest thing is if we're going to do it ourselves, we have to make it comfortable. What is everyone's worries? You're worried that the record's not going to be good. You're worried that we don't know how to produce. You're worried that we can't trust each other. You're worried that we might implode everything. So let's create a barrier to where that comfort comfort level that we need can exist. And what you need is a, a scapegoat. You need a safety hatch. And so the way that we landed on it mentally for all of us is let's do this. We're going to spend 45 or 60 days. We're going to do our best. We're going to do the whole record ourselves. If on day 61, we all hear it, and we miss the mark and it's dog shit, we'll go somewhere else and we'll finish it. And that immediately allowed everyone to just get into a headspace of, oh, so it's not do or die. It's like, no, it's even better than that. It's do it whenever you want. We were uniquely in a space that we had never been in before to be able to do it ourselves. Like I don't, we couldn't have made Erase Me ourselves. We couldn't have made any of our other records on our own because our a, our skill level was not up to par. Like we just didn't know enough. We we were not adept enough uh, uh, technically to be able to do that. And also we weren't, I know we weren't mature enough as far as our relationships with each other to be able to do that. Like it would have just ended badly, probably. It really came down to us just wanting to work with our dudes. And we we're like, we want to work with our our family. And when it came down to figuring out who the engineer was going to be, we're just like, it, it was almost like a no brainer. We're just like, Oh, JJ is going to do it. JJ is like, <laughs> he went from lighting boy to um, monitor guy. We brought him out and he was insane. I remember like the first two weeks of that tour, like Spencer and Aaron were looking at me like, who did you bring on this bus? He's a maniac. Like straight up maniac. Okay, this is JJ, the sound engineer. You can tell his energetic voice. 15-year-old me never would have guessed that I'd be sitting there like watching Aaron Gillespie play like right behind him every night. Like I was, I grew up a massive Under Oath fan. So it was like never in a million years would I imagine a band from my hometown is going to all of a sudden ask me to go out on the road and I'm just out here just working. We learned quickly how talented he was in the audio space. 
he is the mad scientist of all of the audio um, that's happening with with the streams and the album. Um, without him, I don't believe um, they would have the sound for the the voyeurs. The band just sounded better than they ever sounded before when JJ was mixing them. He heard them. He allowed other people to hear them better. He knows what he can get out of us, I think. The one thing he's always done is play drums, play bass, and record bands, like since I've known it. And he just needed a, a spot to kind of thrive and to elevate. That's the great thing about Under Oath, too. They, they find um, these really talented people and give them a chance, you know? And, and uh, I, I think JJ is a perfect example of that. JJ has always made things sound amazing. So why wouldn't JJ be in the room? And he makes it just sound so good. That's the person that you need that also understands you and lives with you as a band on the road and knows what your band should be. And especially when he's the guy who mixes you at front of house, he's like, I also know what you should feel like live. And none of your records sound like you feel like live. When you hear that back, and he looks you in the eye and he's being dead serious. It's like, even if you're wrong, we got to go try that. It's about the band always. Like, that's my view. Like, if I'm mixing anybody else, it's like, well, I, like you're saying, like, I don't really care what it is. I don't care what I'm mixing. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, that stuff literally doesn't matter. Like, if it's broken, yeah. If it's not, then make it sound good. Figure it out. And at the end of the day, your whole job is just feature the band feature what is happening on that stage and make that be the thing like don't nobody cares about what you have on the kick drum nobody cares they just want to know that that kick drum is doing something to them that's the person that we want as long as he'll stick around we get to control the way people feel for about an hour a night like that's so sick that's my philosophy it's like dude it doesn't nobody cares just turn it on and make them feel something. And then then they'll care. We started making this record in a really unorthodox way. Me and Tim would play together with a click track or Chris would bring in like the, a vignette of a song, you know, we had all written separately and together leading up to this as well. Um, so we had this big drop box filled with all kinds of starts and ideas and we just went at it from the middle. It's so scary because you don't know if you're wrong ever really. Like, am I doing this all wrong? And it's constantly having to navigate, like, am I right? Am I wrong? It's just a tough business. It's tough to put these things out. There's a lot of work that goes in. There's a lot of emotional um, intensity. There's a lot of people are putting a lot of their lives and their heart and soul into this project because they all care about it. And I think that goes back into engagement too, right? They're so engaged. They care so much. They're putting so much in. But when there's that much, when you're putting that much in, it's, it's going to get tense at times. Me and Aaron have always had this weird connection where he goes in and just starts playing a drum beat to nothing. And I'm like, I already hear it. There is nothing like watching Tim and Aaron come up with something in real time. Like I've never seen anything like it. Like those dudes speak a whole language. There's moments when we're writing songs, especially in a creative like vision demo session where there's no strings attached. And I'll be like, dude, I want to hear something like this and this, that, and the other. And he's like, hold on, just put me in the room. And he'll just play something to a click and sometimes not even to a click. And he'll just get a groove. And I'll like, I will feel when he's about to slow down or speed up because I hear what he hears. And then he'll just play one intro verse chorus thing. And then it's like, come in here. And then we just start building it. I don't know what they do. And they, they write these riffs and these heavy things so fast. And it's like, yeah, the drums are done. And he's like, he's literally out of there. And I'm like, you didn't even write the drum part. He was like, I don't need to right now. I'm like, what? And there's other times where I'll program an entire song on MIDI drums. I'm like, I know the drums are trash. Just think about where the song goes. He's like, oh, I got it. Can you please send that to me without the drums? I don't want a drum reference. I can already hear 
what you need me to do based on what I hear you doing with your instrument. And then he's like, let me just go throw this on there. And it all started with five minutes of him and Tim just like never caring if they were right or wrong the whole time. Like they never stopped to question their instincts. And we have this really interesting connection where it's like, it doesn't work over email. It doesn't work over Zoom. It's like, get him here, get two bottles of wine, get eight beers, let's turn the lights off and let's turn Pro Tools up loud. And that is the only environment where I feel like me and Aaron are actually fully in our element and can actually do the most damage from a musical standpoint. Who's the authority on this? Like, is it the fanatics? Is it, is it the consumer? Are they the authority on like what we do as creators? Like who tells us if it's good or not? What is any of it? Like, I literally don't know. It's wild to me. We've always talked about making our own record, and I think this is the first time we were actually mature enough to do it. And I think that was the right step to make, to make the record that we needed to make, that we wanted to make. We were onto something, and I haven't felt that way in a long time. Like, define the great line feeling of onto something. So the idea of like needing tension versus having everything be smooth sailing is an interesting one that I don't really know how I feel on right now because I think our tension's just natural. And the biggest thing is not to create arguments out of thin air just to say it was war, but it's, can you just be honest? You don't like this. You know, Spencer, you don't want to scream. You want to sing, right? But I, I, I need you to scream. Like, let's talk about that. That's why we almost didn't do the record because nobody wanted to say those things. Nobody wanted to say, aside from Aaron, I can't do another record like Erase Me because you weren't there. You checked out and the record suffered for it and you fucked us. I think it's taken us until our mid thirties to get to a point of making our own record to have some meaningful, like real conversations, but they're so heated because people don't do it normally. You have to have honest conversations which then create tension naturally. And then if you just let that wash over you and you breathe it all in it the product is positivity and progress without those tough conversations you don't understand what's holding you back there's always been this unspoken thing with me and spencer where i'm like i don't want to make you mad so i'm not going to tell you how i really feel you know i feel like you want to sing more than me like and it sounds really trite and childish but this is a this is a, a nucleus of a negative evil thing that's been in our business since we were children um where it was like there's two singers and there's a power struggle the trust between me and aaron should have always be how are we going to do this live? How, what sounds the coolest and what's realistic here? We've gotten to the point now. I don't think it was like this, you know, maybe year in years ago, but like either one of us could do this and it would be fucking awesome. I will say the energy in the studio changed when we did start vocals and the beef and, and, and the reluctance to collaborate showed its head. It probably was literally the first day of vocals. Like it did not take long. It was, we didn't even really get into anything before. Like it was just like that. So in the middle of the album, I would say like the last 40% of the album, we're heavily into doing vocals at this time. And guys in the band are expressing like, I want you to sing more. I want Spencer to scream here instead. And one evening where they're doing vocals and it exploded. There was just a moment where we were pushing through creatively and we hit one of those tense moments where there was opposition, vocally, who should sing what, and it was just time. And it was either we do this conversation now or we regress back to Erase Me where everyone doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It was a very interesting position to be in for myself because I kind of had to be the middle guy. Like I had to be the facilitator of like all right i'm stopping the session we need to talk 
I'm starting to get mad. Like, what's going on? We need get it. Speed, come in here. Aaron, sit down. What's going on? It was apparent that we were going to have to flush the power struggle and just say, no matter what comes out of whose mouth, it's still one mouthpiece. And somebody just said, hey, man, like, why do you not want Aaron to sing that? Where's all this shit coming from? You know, like, oh, because we never fucking talk about this stuff. I I don't think there's anybody better to speak at what he does. Spencer is just a madman of a vocalist in general. Spencer's iconic when he's in that live moment. Like, he's just iconic in those things. Like, the way that he says some of the screams that everybody sings with, like, in those songs. Like, talk about energy. Talk about having control over what people feel for an hour. Like, dude, like, he's got them in his hands. Like, he's so good at something that, at times, I think his brain says, oh, that's hardcore. That's high school band stuff. Like, we're 40 now. We don't scream. And it's like, bro, like, look at these dudes in Macedon. Like, look at these guys in these bands that still do what they've always done because they're great at it. And that's why they're still around. And his superpower happens to be something that I think he does wrestle with maybe not wanting that power. Normally there's a, an outsider, you know, the producer that, that has an unbiased opinion and it, that makes it a lot easier when, when it comes down to some, some of these things. And that, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, do we really care at the end of the day? I think, you know, when you write a song and you get married to this thing that you did and the demo you've heard a hundred times and then someone else in the band goes, suggest, what if that guy did it instead of you or vice versa? You know, like Aaron wrote this line he really loves and they're like, well, Speed, why don't you sing that? Or whatever, you know, it's like, or I, I think that's just like, a, it's an adjustment. And I think for anyone that's weird. The personal issues that we had in the studio on previous records were basically just manifestations of personal issues that we had at the time anyway. Me and Tim did have conversations like when we were talking about doing this, I I brought this situation up. I was like, this is going to be a thing that's going to come up where we're going to all have to come together and talk about how we want to do the vocals for this record. We had to go in with a a willingness to say, you know, what we thought, but then also like accept things being said, you know, except like if, if, you know, someone tells me that I'm not doing something that's right. When it comes to writing and, and, and demoing and, and working, like there's all four of the guys, we're all capable of making a record. You know, we could probably all do it alone. It's not about Aaron. It's also not about Spencer. It's not about Tim getting his way or Chris getting what he wants. It's if we're all in this one thing, that is different than any of us being separate. And we have to be a collective unit. And when we do that and we fight through it, we are unstoppable insofar that we see it. What's funny is uh, we had a like a, kind of like a secret live stream uh, of the recording process where if you knew it was there, you could watch us record the whole record, but you couldn't hear anything. And when I would be working here, I would have that that uh, screen up on on one of my screens in the studio just to kind of like peek in and like I would like text the dudes and be like, hey, like, you know what's going on? And I would be able to see him. And I saw that the guys had been sitting in one spot for like a really long time and like not recording anything, not doing anything. It was just me and JJ sitting on a seat and then Tim and, and Spencer in a chair across. And at some point Tim looked at JJ and he said, you need to go purchase alcohol. So JJ goes to the Sly Petrol Mart, which is this gas station up the road. And he comes back with six, six IPA beers that are cold, four Coors Light tall boys and eight, eight or 12 white claws that weren't even refrigerated. 
And we just sat in a room and basically made a mental decision, not verbal. We're not leaving until this is squashed, or at least we have some sort of marching orders, even if there is healing to do moving forward. And we just drank and yelled, cursed each other out. And the four of us proceeded to drink all of it, except for one white claw. It was dark. And in the end, it was like, and this is the truth, is I love Spencer more than anybody, you know, like as a friend, like he's the closest person to me in the band in that journey. You know, like we have shared a hotel room for 20 years and I was like, I just want it to be, like, I just want it to be okay. If I say it, you still believe that it comes out of your mouth. And then it just became this thing about Spencer wrote the song about himself and he wanted to be authentic because it's about him. And then Aaron just broke down. He's like, bro, I was there with you that night. Like I called the ambulance on you that night. Don't fucking tell me that this song isn't even more mine. I remember it. You were gone, you know? And so it just became this thing that then started a snowball of, well, in 2007, you, and then in 2010, you, and we all just took a giant breath and vomited everything that we've never said to each other out. And that was my thing. I was like, I'm going to tell you everything that I've always thought that you have to do this more than me. And this has to be this, and this has to be that. And he was like, no, it's not. Like, I don't feel that way. You've got it wrong. And I proceeded to scream for an hour telling him he was a liar. Um, And it got so strange. Like, it got so strange. Everyone's crying. And it was just a fucking disaster. It was all of the things that we did previous. It wasn't a Spencer problem. It was the fact that Aaron didn't speak up on a race me. I was checked out of a race me. Speed's just been running on this lane. He's like, how am I supposed to know that you want to sing when I'm just hearing about it now? And supposedly I haven't let you sing for 15 years or whatever the, you know, the time frame that we were discussing is. And it, it's like, dude, he's not wrong. He's like, why would I, why, why would I do that? I'm a singer. I'm going to sing until someone says, can I sing where you shouldn't sing? For the most part, the first hour was me being like, you want to do it more than you want me to do it because you think it would be better if you did it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you want to do it more than I, than, than you want me to do it. And that hurts me. That was my whole thing. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm better for the job. You think you should do the job because you're the guy and I'm playing the drums. Like I said, all of this, you know what I mean? To him. And it was crazy. By the end of it, Aaron's crying, punching his freaking legs. Spencer's like, fuck you and fuck you and fuck you. And I'm like, we're all losing it. And then at the end, it's like, are we done? It was like the night after cry night at youth camp where everybody just like got saved three times that night. Everybody just bawled their eyes out. Full engagement means like putting it out there, you know, kind of taking your clothes off and looking at yourself in the mirror and go, what do I need to fix to make this the best it can be? which is a really horrible place for a lot of people to be in. And it was hard for hard, hard for me and for us, you know, I think it was wild, but healthy. And it's like, makes us all stronger and trust each other more in the outcome. Trust is absolutely at all time high, but it came at a price, you know, uh, it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been. Like if you told me right now, like, go do it again right now. I'd be like, Oh man, I need some time. You know, <laughs> I need, I need some time to heal from that shit. You know, there was a weight lifted. It seemed like, you know, because it was thing, you know, things that long wanted to be said that had not been said. And you know how that is. Like, you know, if, 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 you know, there's something that you've been wanting to get off your chest for a long time, or you've been wanting to say, and you haven't been able to, once you're able to do it, it's like a, ah, you know, granted it was, hard to get to that point. But I had the feeling as I walked in the studio of just everybody being like, Hey, like we're doing this. We didn't just do it. Like we did it. Like it's done and we're not changing shit. 